Five-Year Mission, the podcast, episode 28. We're happy to have Fansets.com as our presenting sponsor on Five-Year Mission, the podcast. Exclusively right now, head over to trekgeeks.com slash vote and select the next pin in the Women of Trek Series 2. Also, if you go and vote on that pin, you are automatically entered to win an entire set of the Women of Trek pin series. So head on over to trekgeeks.com slash vote. Winner will be selected on April 1st. And please stay tuned till the end of this episode for a special offer on Five-Year Mission, the podcast. Bye now. Welcome to another episode of Five Year Mission, the podcast. This episode, I am joined by Noah and Mike. I'm Chris, in case you didn't know. We've talked about before kind of the genesis of Five Year Mission, how we how we came together, but we've never really gotten into what led to that point, where we where we were before that. We've all been in bands locally. Uh, for years, we've been in several bands, all of us. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of where we come from, how we met as individuals, and how that led to Five Year Mission. Does that sound about right, guys? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the enthusiasm is overwhelming. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. It's going to be great. There you go. So I think we're each uh, first here going to go around and talk about um, the band we were in right before we we formed Five Year Mission, or some of us were in that band simultaneous to Five Year Mission. Uh, but we're going to talk about that band a little bit and a little history of that and what that experience was like. So um, I'll st- start off. Um, the band I was in right before um, Five Year Mission was called Eisenhower Field Day. And we were a, um, a power trio, um, which consisted of myself um, as playing guitar and singing. Uh, my wife, Holly, um, was playing bass and also sang. And then uh, a powerhouse drummer named Phil Kitchell, um, who um, was our drummer and also sang and helped do uh, some of the songwriting as well. And uh, I don't know, we, we, I had a lot of my songwriting um, influences were, were coming at the time from Super Chunk and um, probably from the Promise Ring, but we did a lot of boy-girl harmony vocals, um, which came from some bands that, that I liked a lot, um, like the Reavers, if anyone's ever heard of them. Uh, at the time, that, that's kind of where we, where, where we went in it. I, I feel like it kind of took on a life of its own as, as they do, even if you're sort of sounding in the vein of one band, you're, you're different people and it, and it comes out sounding hopefully like your own and hopefully unique to what you do. And I think I was just enough of an amateur weirdo songwriter that um, what comes out is just weird enough to be interesting, um, but certainly far from uh, far from perfect. So not, not much has changed in your songwriting. <laughs> Pretty much. No, <laughs> no, it's still about the same. Um, we. Uh, we formed in a well we formed in the in the in the early aughts in uh, like probably 2004 
And we actually recorded, I don't know why we thought we had to do this, but we actually recorded like a, a full album and an EP before we ever played a show. Um, we had the practice space in our house where we just had a studio and we just, we just wrote songs, played, recorded. I don't know. I think we wanted a, a product, felt like we couldn't play out without a product to sell or something, which is silly. Um, but that's, that's kind of what we did. And of course that same recording practice space became the recording practice space for five year mission later on for the first two and a half albums, first two albums and an, and an EP. Um, but we had our first show at the Melody Inn. Thank you to Dave and, and the Melody Inn for giving new bands a chance. I think, it was, on, I think it was on a Wednesday night, um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Wednesday nights yeah. at the Mel. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, at the time, it was a really big deal for me because I, I, had, I had played shows down in Bloomington um, back in the late nineties, but I had not done anything in Indianapolis for, for many, many years. And I wasn't even aware of a scene or really knew anybody else on the music scene. Um, and, uh, so, so we played that and I, I really am, am grateful to, to, um, the melody and for giving bands like that a, a chance to just come in and do that. And at the time, I think our second show was at locals only. And at the time locals only was a great venue that, that also helped out tons of local bands and, um, really supported local music scene, much as the Melody Inn does. I think once I opened for uh, Creepin' Charlie and the Boneyard Orchestra before I knew Andy, that was a band that Andy was drumming for um, prior to Five Year Mission. And I'm pretty sure, I'm positive I opened for him and I don't. I didn't know who he was. I don't even think I had a conversation with him. I think I just went that whole night without even meeting him. Maybe I met him, I have no idea, but it's funny to think back about that now. Yeah. <laughs> we were there in that same room that night and probably didn't even uh, even meet. Never even crossed paths. Yeah. Now I did uh, also, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll not give too much away there, but I think we also, uh, we played with Little Voice, we played with um, Mike's band uh, at Zany's too, remember that? Oh yeah, we played with you guys too. <laughs> did you that night? Oh yeah, it was it was you and... Mike and and us and didn't like uh, Jeff Bird Bird played that night. Oh, yep. that's right. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, you're, you're getting a little bit ahead in the story there. No, I guess oh, I, okay. am. Yeah. I, I I forgot. I forgot you were even there, Chris. I don't. Yeah. I don't even remember. I see. Yeah, I we we <laughs> never we never played with Eisenhower Field Day before uh, we knew each other. Yeah. Okay. See, I couldn't remember. That's good. It's good you guys have better memories than I do. How many albums did you guys put out? Technically, we put out two CDs, um, but one was like a combination of an album and an EP on one, and then and then another one was just a regular album. We'd actually written another album and recorded another album worth of material, I think at the same time that um, Five Year Mission was practicing and recording here as well, um, but but we'll get to it later, but then then EFD kind of fizzled out and that, that album still sits in mixing mode on my on my computer. <laughs> it's never seen the light of day except for my four thousand remixes. Now now didn't you have another project you were doing at the same time? Yeah, I actually I did. I had a little um weird um folksy electronic thing um called the Killbot Factory. Yeah. 
which is a Simpsons reference for those of you who, who know that very obscure Simpsons line. But yeah, that was something that I was kind of just doing on my own songs I was writing. Um, I was trying to kind of got some software that was letting me do some electronic music and sampling. And I kind of wanted to try that out. Um, and then um, I also had would have Holly sing on that as well. And so that was a fun little side project. I always kind of wanted to have, you know, be able to translate it into a, a sort of band version um and and play out with that stuff but that i just i just wasn't in the cards at the time i think it's okay if you want to actually even go back a little bit further and maybe just give us a little bit of history of your before eisenhower field day uh you know like what, what's your what's your musical history Noah? i uh i got my first guitar when i was 15 there's a direct correlation to me getting that guitar and my grades dropping significantly um, as I would just basically play it for from the time I went home from school to the time I went to bed and didn't do any schoolwork. Um, and uh, I had an uncle uh, who was close to my age at that time um, who already knew how to play guitar and kind of taught me some of the things. And he was a person who had introduced me to a lot of great music, um, was a big influence musically. And we wrote, we would write songs together. Um, he was kind of taught me how to write songs and, and, um, we, we did a lot of writing together and, um, eventually, uh, like late high school, early college, um, we, we actually, uh, Phil Kitchell, the drummer for Eisenhower Field Day was actually a friend of my uncle's and, um, he, uh, we asked him to, to come and kind of support us with drums. And then by that time I also knew Holly. So she was, we made her play bass. So wait, is that how you met Phil through your uncle? Yeah, I met Phil through my, oh, okay. through my uncle. Yeah. Well, I, I always, I mean, Phil is older than we are. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, is that why he's like ten years older than you? And I, I always kind of exactly wonder how you met him. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they went to high school together, um, and so I met, yeah, I met Phil through my uncle. Um, so yeah, so we kind of had a band. We had a we had a funny little band called Turnip Blood um, back back in those days in the in the in the mid nineties. Um, that was kind of just, uh, uh, I don't know, little jangle, kind of a jangle pop thing that we were doing. Um, my uncle was doing a lot of the songwriting and the singings and, and I was, I was kind of just learning how to, how to be in a band and, and also writing songs. That was back in the days of, of the good old four track with a cassette tape and four track. And that's how you, that's how you wrote and recorded. <laughs> I, I, I always remember uh, when we were recording year one and year two on your desktop, on your computer was a folder that said turnip blood. <laughs> and it just sat there only like, I could tell like you opened it like, you know, every so often and made adjustments. Uh, and funny, <laughs> funny side story too. Um, having to do with the musical scene and turn of blood. I remember when we'll get to this eventually, but one of the first, like uh, one of our, our independent band collective meetings that we had spoiler alert for what comes up later. <laughs> um, I, I was talking to um, Adam Gross who, who had a band at the time called Amo joy, which was a super fun, really great yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, What's his band now? He's currently in uh, SM Wolf. SM Wolf. That's right. Yeah, if if you haven't ever checked out Amo Joy or SM Wolf, do yourself a favor. Uh, Adam's a really good songwriter, and uh, I don't know him like very, hardly at all. Like I just met the guy, and and he looks at me and he goes, "Hey, Noah, tell me about Turnip Blood," and like 
I was like, <laughs> what? I mean, like I hadn't told, like we, we played one show in 1995 at, at a coon hunters club in Anderson. Like <laughs> nobody knew us. I didn't even talk about the band. Like I had nobody except for me and my uncle and Holly. We were the only people who knew about this band. I had no idea how I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, the, the band Turn of Blood, I, I, I want to know about it. And it I freaked me out. I was like, how do you, how is that possible? There was nothing, not a single thing on YouTube, nothing uploaded, nobody knew about it. And as it turned out, my, my uncle who was in the band and, and had helped me, you know, get into music and songwriting was Adam's uh, high school English teacher. <laughs> and some, somehow, somehow he had mentioned Turnip Blood or played Turnip Blood or talked to Adam um, about Turnip Blood, knowing that Adam was a, was a musician back in high school. And it was just the most bizarre, strange, small world. Um, so crazy. So yeah, that, so there was Turn of Blood, and then in later college, um, I was kind of in this this math rock, poppier math rocky kind of band, um, emo kind of band called uh, Factors of Six, um, and and that was really important uh, because that was the first time I really got out and played shows, and that was the first time where I was like the the front man for a band and and kind of was actually doing the thing that I had always wanted to do. And so um, it was it was a really great experience, um, especially being in Bloomington and in the, in the kind of the late 90s. That was just a, a great time for music. And, um, and that was that was fun. It was some good experience. I kind of wish it had lasted longer than it did. But, um, you know, that's that's the way it goes. And then, then after that was kind of some hiatus, a couple of years hiatus from really doing anything. And then, and then Phil moved back from New York and I said, let's, let's play music. And, um, and we, so we started and then that, that became EFD and now here we are. So there's my quick brief, uh, musical history. So Chris, yeah. tell us yeah, about okay. your, your music history. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go like Noah and start with, right before five-year mission okay actually it's kind of a twofer because i was in right right prior just prior to to five-year mission i was in two bands i was in dorsey which I, i was in dorsey for about six months maybe and i was playing keys for them and doing backup vocals and that was an interesting situation because i had actually met rob rob was the lead singer rob glass and I had met him through uh, the other band that I that I was in um, called Rebuilt. Rob and I met, and we kind of bonded because we both had a love of Wilco. So Rob asked me to be in uh, Dorsey. In Dorsey, and that's that's kind of that's where I started getting building my chops playing the keys. I had never really I, I played keys or I played piano when I was really young it was it was a nice experience just it was something brand new that i hadn't done before and and the stuff that i did at the time was very basic it was just kind of filling in space it was kind of background stuff but it also gave me the opportunity to sing and play keys on stage which was nice prior to that i was in rebuilt and that one we were together for i think five or six years and this was one where again i was playing in another band and we were just an acoustic duo I'm going backwards on my band. So this is re the reverse history. <laughs> uh, 
I was actually playing an acoustic duo and these guys came in, uh, this band rebuilt, they got hired to play. And I was there so often that I offered to run sound for them. And I ran sound for them for a couple shows. Tony and Micah were the two kind of front front guys. We They didn't really have a lead singer. Tony and, and Micah kind of shared the duty. So I started filling in just a little bit. And next thing I knew, I was I was playing with them too. And that was that band was actually a lot of fun. It was different than any other band I'd ever done because there were three three guys up front. We shared a lot like Five Year Mission, where we have four four guys who share singing duties. Micah and Tony and I did the same. Unlike Five Year Mission, it was probably about 70, 75% cover. And then the rest of it was original. So we did a lot of cover songs and that was just kind of, that was our bread and butter. You know, that's what. I remember that, that Halloween where you played the twilight zone. Yeah. Yeah. We did. That was, that Dressed was like the, ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Well, that was, that was later on. Cause what happened was we played, it was, it was about four years or so we put out, uh, we pulled out a full a full length album, which was kind of everything that Tony and Micah had put together already when I got into the band. And then I added a few songs as well. When I came in, it was called ghost man on first. Mm-hmm. And we were really proud of it. Cause it was, you know, 90% of it, we did ourselves and it was an achievement to say the, I'd never done anything like that before. Not to that extent. Mm-hmm. And so we had another album we were working on, which became kind of an e- an unreleased EP. We put out some of the songs. Uh, we played the songs. We put out some of the songs. But this was after about four years. And Tony had kind of, we, we had a little bit of a rift in the band. He had a different musical sensibility than the rest of us. And he was just, he just wanted to do different things. And it was, there wasn't any animosity between any of us. We just had, you know, when you're in a band for a long time, you just get tired of each other sometimes. <laughs> And uh, no, no, you guys really? know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not this I actually only saw you one time with Tony. Um, okay, all the so, other times that I saw Rebuilt, it was yeah, four of you. I think by the time I met you, Mike, Tony, I think maybe the last time Tony played with us was that that show that you, that we met, like that July 4th show, yeah we met in person. I think yeah, that was the last one of the last times Tony played with us. And the one. Yeah. That that was just, you know, we were fine with it and Micah and I decided, okay, you know what? We're going to keep going our our bass player at the time Nate. Um we went through a couple bass players and and we hired Nate uh probably not too long after I joined the band. We had another guy. His name was Jeremy, but we called him Pip. I don't really know why. And we had another guitar player whose name escapes me, but he wasn't in the band for very long when I got in there. He was kind of, a, he played lead. And then Micah went, became our lead guitar player eventually. When Tony left, we, you know, Micah and I and and Nate and Chad, we carried on for, for probably, I don't know, about a year or so after that. But then it just kind of wore itself out, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know any better way to, to put it. We just, you know, we were still going, we, we were still having fun. We just didn't have the same drive that we did before when it was new and and so um and at the time that was right around the time that i started playing in dorsey and i was playing in two bands and so when rebuilt ended it wasn't it, it was fine it had run its course really what's funny is i i when i think about the band that you were in before five-year mission some for some reason rebuilt comes to mind 
Yeah, that's the band I think of. Before yeah. Dorsey. Yeah. Well, like, I, I know, I mean, I, I remember seeing many shows with Dorsey with you yeah. in there. And I know that's like, that's, you, well, you met Jennifer through Dorsey pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Jennifer, my wife, she was the, our, the photographer when we did a, a photo shoot for um, for the band right after I, I became a permanent member. And that's how we met. And they released an album that I wasn't on. They actually recorded it in London. Borrowed pens. What's that? Yeah, borrowed pens. And it was at, uh, you know, Apple. Rob just pumped a ton of money into that album. And it just sounds amazing. I mean, he did an amazing job. It's a really good album. It's a really good album. And I was not on that album, though, because it was already completed by the time I got in the band. And we didn't produce anything after I got in the band. So I was, you know... It was like the guy that go, you know, I was like the touring musician for them. You know, I wasn't ever collaborative in any, any forming any songs or anything like that. Although Rob and I did work on stuff during the time that I was in the band and, you know, we all worked on it together, but nothing that was ever really recorded. So I had input into new songs, but we didn't ever get to the point where those were recorded. So I, I can see where you guys would think of more of Rebuilt than Dorsey, just because that's what I was yeah. more invested in i guess well also i mean you were the i mean you sang for for rebuilt I right mean, you know yeah you, i was one of the you, three you wrote songs and you sang i feel i feel like with yeah. dorsey you were kind of just the guy filling in on the keys yeah one well, which is really what i was and rebuilt was the band where i really got to dig in and write songs like i'd never written before the band that i was in before rebuilt was uh, an acoustic duo called Unpainted Huffines, which incidentally, if you don't get the reference, Unpainted Huffines is from Raising Arizona. My my friend Dan and I were in this band, uh, Dan Cushing. And I don't really know, I don't remember how it happened exactly, but he and I were living together and we just, it's just one of those things that it was just kind of a natural progression into uh, playing together. I was writing, he, he played music, I was writing songs, um, that I'd, I'd been writing songs on my own for quite some time ever since college. And, and so he and I just started playing together and then we started, you know, playing shows out and it just kind of became a thing, but we had, we had this dynamic where I was kind of the serious one and he was the asshole. (laughs) That was kind of the, the way, the way it was. And Dan couldn't really sing that well. And so that was also kind of a thing where we would find a song that you didn't really have to be able to sing really well. And he would sing it and I would sing the rest of the songs. And so that was my first foray really into songwriting and and putting things out there. We had a full length album. I think it was just called Unpainted Huffines, actually. It was an eponymous album, if I recall. And then we had an EP called Me, just like M-E. And that one, we we recorded both of those on our own. Uh, a friend of ours, actually, um, his name is Jeff Day. We call him Wild Dale. I don't know why. <laughs> so does, does everyone that you know have a nickname? Not everyone, but uh, Wild Dale was actually... His name's from... Steve, but we called him Billy. Yeah, right. If they have a nickname, he doesn't know why they have it. <laughs> That's right. That's well, established. But anyway, I... Dan and I actually met in college. And so we'd been in friends, f- friends for a long time. We ended up living together here in uh, Indy. And then we uh, formed this band. We would play, play at uh, 
PSO works all the time. Um, had a blast. I mean, I, I had so much fun. We actually played, played at the Clada downtown one, one, uh, New Year's Eve. And that was one of the craziest shows I've ever played around midnight. We were just making songs up and <laughs> singing into the new year and just making things up. And people were just the steady flow of Jameson was coming up to the stage and it, that was a drunken, crazy night, and it was just a lot of fun. So, Huff Finds was just a lot of fun. Um, and then on the other end, we had there was a night where we played at this bar in Carmel. I almost had laryngitis. I could barely, I could, it was hard to talk. I could barely sing. And so Dan ended up singing most of the songs. So we had this show, and we're getting paid for it. I'm like, we're playing the show. I'll be fine. Well, I wasn't. And Dan had to sing a lot of the songs and the owner just like sat there giving us the stink eye the whole time. <laughs> Nobody was like, my parents were there and a couple <laughs> other people. And that was it. It was, and we thought it was hilarious, but it was, it was not humorous to the people <laughs> who worked there and uh, they didn't invite us back. Um, we had a, we had a lot of weird shows, but um, it was still a good time. And then prior to that, I actually didn't play for a, uh, a couple of years out anywhere um, when I moved back home from college in Bloomington. Um, but when I was in Bloomington, I was in a band called Yellow Sun. And the reason why we were called Yellow Sun is we couldn't think of another name. So we just picked two random words and that was what we ended up calling ourselves. We spent months trying to think of a band name. I mean, we had, I remember one of the band names was Tabula Rasa. <laughs> <laughs> And I was fighting to be anything but Tabula Rasa. Band names aren't easy. No, No. they're not. That's why five-year mission was so great because we didn't really have to think about it. It was just there. I was graduating in a couple months from college and I was looking for something to do. I'd, I'd been on all these interviews. I was graduating from the business school. I was looking at consulting jobs and thinking, I don't want to do this this sucks. I don't want to be a real person yet. And uh, going through the classified ads in Bloomington, I found an ad for a a lead singer and I was like, I can do that. And I can play guitar too. So bonus. And I went in and I got the, I got the gig and, and uh, it was um, this guy, Zach Liff, who was from the music school, just his guitar virtuoso. He was uh, a classical guitar player, but such an amazing guitar player. Um, also had all kinds of gear, like some great gear. Is this the guy that um, we met who lives in uh, Nashville yep. right now? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's the guy. Um, our bass player, when I first got in the band, he was, uh, his name was Vic. And he was a re- he was also from music school, really great uh, bass so was player. Was that a real name or was that a nickname? That- uh, Vic was his real name. Um I can't for the life of me remember his last name, but he didn't stay in the band for very long. So that's probably why we also had a keyboard player. I can't even remember his first name. And this is, this is yellow. This is yellow sun that you're talking about. Yeah. This is yellow sun. And we played in, we played in somebody's apartment. Um, and that was the original lineup. And then uh, Clark, his name is Clark Becker. He was our drummer. And this guy is a monster drummer. He actually tours now. Um, he's a touring drummer with, I mean, with, bands that you've heard of. I I can't, I don't, I can't remember the bands he's played in, but um, he's a great drummer. He actually, uh, his teacher was uh, Kenny Aronoff who played with Mellencamp and he played with pumpkins. I mean, the guy's a a beast. Yep. He played with pumpkins during the adore 
era. Actually, he's on, he's in a, a couple of their videos in, in that, in that time. So he kind of emulated Kenny and he was just, just a monster, just such a good drummer. So the cool thing was entering into this world of playing in bands. I had some really, really good guys around me. And actually that's where my love of the Beatles comes from because these guys were all big Beatles fans. And we would actually open every, uh, every show with a Beatles song. I think a combination of we love the Beatles and we wanted to kind of honor them. And at the same time, it presented a challenge. Uh, looking back, it's, I have a lot of video of us playing and looking back at that video, I'm like, Oh God, why did we do, why did we do the Beatles? <laughs> Cause we wrecked a couple of those songs, <laughs> but it was I fun. Mean, can't get no satisfaction. That's a tough, a hard song. To yeah, I know. On. Well, and one of the other uh, Vic, loved the who so we had to play like man that first gig we were playing stuff like um baba o'reilly and we played <laughs> uh what we played the police like every little thing she does is magic i mean i was that's that's a pretty ambitious sounding band there yeah. was um message in a bottle uh you know i guess i didn't realize how much like gigging experience you had prior like oh, yeah. you, you've had like a lifetime more than i did like no 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 wonder i'm <laughs> still so nervous going on stage like you you, you, well, you, had, I you think, had a lot of experience i I've, I've never had that much experience so prior to that i i didn't really have any experience at all except for just playing in front of randos or people that i knew in a, a house the first time, and then I played, you know, we played our first gig with Yellow Sun in a, a house party, and I knew everybody there. The first time I played on a real stage was a, at uh, the Bluebird in Bloomington. Then that's a real stage. Yeah, and we were opening for like an act that packs the house. I can't remember what it was. And I am in the back, like in the in the back room, backstage with my head between my knees like hyperventilating i thought i was gonna pass out i had no idea what i was doing and i remember going out on stage and we launched like I, you know i just i did it but we launched into that first song and that entire set my hands were by my side i was just like i was singing into this microphone and this it was just me and the microphone that's all that was there <laughs> i had I, I mean i'm sure it was terrible but I was so scared, man. It took me a long time to to really get comfortable. I played a lot of shows. I mean, I've been playing out for over 20 years in, in, in public. So you get used to it, especially because I've been in so many situations where I just royally screwed up. <laughs> like, obviously. I remember once in Bloomington, we were coming off stage. We were just getting heckled. Like coming off the stage, people on the on the side were just like heckling us as we walked off, and this was like mid set. We had to go back on for another set. It was like a set break. Wow. So I mean, I've been in some painful situations, but in the end, it's just fun getting up there. So I don't really care. <laughs> I, I've only had one experience at the Bluebird, and you guys remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was sparsely attended, wasn't it? Uh, no, they double booked it and oh, there was that yeah. country show after that's right. We had to hurry. Yeah. Wow. They rushed like, us off and, and like everyone was like booing at us because we weren't that's country. Right. 
That's right. I, yeah, that was that. that I had sucked. totally blocked that from the, <laughs> from my memory. Wasn't that was for the combine in Bloomington, wow. right? Yeah, it was. It was some kind of like convention thing that was happening, and yeah. they, they they asked us to come play for it, and then didn't plan very well. Well, the place double booked. Yeah. Oh so. yeah. No, I, I it was fun going back there for me because I we used to play twice a month at the bluebird um we played at mars it was called mars at the time it was a kind of a, a dance club and we played there uh, a few times i think that was one of the places we opened for the y store i didn't really have much musical experience before college i played piano when i was a kid like i mentioned and i played trumpet and in band in middle school and you know freshman year in high school i i had kind of started noodling with a guitar the summer before college um my my grandpa had this it was like a you know like the, the three-quarter size guitar so it, it wasn't a full-size guitar it was like a learning guitar mm-hmm. i was like well I, I gotta get a guitar so i got my own and i took it to college with me and these guys next door to me in the dorms were were both really good at guitar and they played all the time i remember they used to play closer to fine indigo girls all the time <laughs> that was that was big at the time mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this was what, like 93, uh, fall of 93. And, um, a long time ago, man, it's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I remember I'd sit in my room. I, I would play at least half an hour a day, if not, if not more. And I would, I had these fake books and I would just go through and that's how I learned guitar. I just played songs that I knew. I remember the first song I ever could pl- that I learned how to play, and sing at the same time was Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. <laughs> and if I'm being perfectly honest, one of the main reasons I learned how to play guitar at first was to meet girls in college. Not that it ever did me any good because I was afraid of girls at the time, apparently. <laughs> that's that's where it all began. And then from there, the musical trajectory that I took, I never would have imagined back, you know, when I was 17, that that would have happened. I think through through every every band every musical experience that i had it wasn't really planned you know it wasn't like i'm like i'm gonna start a band it was all very natural and organic i think five-year mission is the only band that i kind of heard heard it starting and was like hey i want to do this you know (laughs) and uh and and kind of insinuated myself into it the rest of the the rest of them just kind of you know just kind of happened so that's my story and i'm sticking to it that's that's interesting because i i mean thinking about that, like with the, the turn of blood thing, that was a, that was a very natural progression. But then yeah. when I got, um, then in with factors of six, it wasn't, it was the opposite. It was, I, I want to start a band. Like I want, mm-hmm. you know, and so like, I think I, I actually put in a uh, flyer up in, um, was that CD store that every college town had tracks or, <laughs> or discount den or yeah. it was one of those put some flyers up there and um tried out a i think tried out a couple different drummers and then luckily one of those drummers tried a couple out and it didn't really do much and then one of them he was just a really he was just a go-getter and he was like a really really good songwriter and just he just knew how everything worked and everything operated and he sort of took my little meager like i want to do something and, <laughs> and it really did help like 
he knew how to do everything and he was just like all right here's how we record and here's how we get shows and here's how you know and he's sort of showed the ropes and exposed me to a whole thing that i would not have known how to do in my just meager eagerness to like start a band yeah you don't realize what it takes you're so green and you have these high aspirations i just want to play music you know i just want to give this music to people and maybe make a little money doing it and then you get out there and it's just it's it it can be a real train wreck i think we i think we as five-year mission have been really fortunate it's just a product of what we do and how we do it but especially when you're an independent band playing originals it's tough man it is but you know we've also have our collective experience to steer us away from you know accepting yeah. a wednesday night show that where we're going to play at 11 o'clock yeah. yeah you know like we just that's true we, we know all that yeah. stuff and we know like what playing for exposure means and yeah. we're also whether, not 22 yeah. years old so yeah, exactly. you know we're we're, we're not going to go play a wednesday night at 11 o'clock but but hey yeah when we're when you're younger it's just like wednesday night sure yeah 11, we're going on at 11 yeah all right what do you want to do afterwards <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so mike mike what about you let's let's hear your your story my story well Oddly enough, my my band right before Five Year Mission is eerily similar to Noah's band. <laughs> I was also in a trio with my wife. I should say my wife at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the my my band was very similar to to Noah's. Um, but let me start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> uh, my my dad was always in in a band. And uh, since before I was born, and I mean, I come from a long family of musicians. My grandpa was a musician, my dad and all of his brothers. So, I mean, it's just, it's only just natural that I learned to play and became one also. But I was going to my dad's shows at bars when I was like five years old. Um, he and my mom would take me with them. And I, the lady at the bar would actually let me sit at the bar and she would serve me cherry Cokes all night while my dad's band was playing. So, you know, my, my experience and, or rather influence of music and being a musician started very young. So I grew up around that. And then um, my mom also later be, became a musician. She started playing with my dad in a band and learned to play bass. So, I mean, like, you know, the whole family's kind of musician-y. Um, you're just making up words now. <laughs> so I got my first guitar when I was about 12. A It was like a super cheap uh, guitar. Like it was like a harmony or whatever, like the kind that don't stay in tune and have the little, <laughs> little plastic switches that go back and forth and for toggle switches. Was it electric or acoustic? It was electric. Uh, okay. it, 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 had, fancy. It, it had a sunburst finish. All right. Uh, and uh, my dad noticed that I was very interested in playing it so he quickly got me a better guitar uh which i think i still have somewhere in patrick's basement um <laughs> and uh, the reason he got me this other guitar was because uh i was trying to learn to play kickstart my heart by motley crew which starts with uh the guitar doing uh these open strings with the whammy bar and it sounds like like a like a motorcycle engine and um 
or a race car engine, I guess. And, um, I couldn't do it with that harmony guitar. So he got me another guitar. It was a Westone. That guitar was a Westone guitar and it, uh, it was red and it had a whammy bar. And so I was stoked. <laughs> um, so I played around with it. I learned like some, some power chords, you know, I learned the typical stuff like smoke on the water and Iron Man and stuff like that. Didn't really learn anything like really complicated for a long time. But when I was about 14, I think I was looking at a chord book and I looked at, uh, I was, I was trying to make the chords and then I did this one and I was like, that sounds just like that one song. And so I just kept playing that one chord and uh, the, the chord was a G chord and uh, the song was uh, Shelter Me by Cinderella. <laughs> so uh, that was the first song. Yeah, that was the first <laughs> song that I learned to just like play and sing along to. So wait, your first song was Shelter Me by Cinderella and mine was Runaway Train by <laughs> on the acoustic, by the way. So Anyway, fast forward, you know, I'm in high school and uh, I've got friends who are into music and, and everything too. So uh, we started a band and, you know, we all kind of liked metal and rock and grunge. And so we, we were playing a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I can't even remember the name. of Oh, no, it, uh, we called it Mr. Yuck. That was our band name in high school. And you, you've told me that before. I remember that. Yep. Which I still love that you had a band called Mr. Yuck. Yeah. Oh, and we took the sticker and we turned the mouth upside down. So it was smiling. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so yeah, that was the band in high school, you know, all covers. I mean, I think we had like one or two originals and they were really terrible. <laughs> um, but uh, out of that band came my friendship with a, with a guy named Tony Lucas who uh, we were sort of like a uh, like a Lennon McCartney kind of duo. Like we we wrote a lot of songs and played off of each other, and um, that's really where my my songwriting comes from. Uh, like that time, like in high school, I I probably wrote like four hundred different songs. You know, like. Jeez. None of them were good. <laughs> not a single one. So not but, much has changed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Come on, and, Noah. Uh, you know, a lot of them sounded like other songs that you hear on the radio. <laughs> Very similar, but I changed the words. But yeah, Tony and I became good friends and we started writing songs together. And so we kind of continued in bands together for a long time after high school. Our first band out of high school was called River of Pain. <laughs> and uh that was <laughs> we we named it after one of tony's songs uh then our next song or our next uh band was it was still me and tony uh i can't remember the name of the guys in that band to be honest the other two guys oh wait one of his name is kyle the bass player his name was kyle so <laughs> i don't have a nickname for him though <laughs> uh but so we uh, we went on like that band split up and uh, then like a couple months later, Tony hits me up and he's like, I met these other guys in, in uh, Lafayette and they want to be, they, you know, they're interested in us being in their band. So I went down there and, and met uh, these guys. Uh, one, the bass player's name was Shannon Smith and the drummer's name was Dave Koblenz. That band, we 
they had a name and I can't even remember what it was, but we changed it. Uh, like Tony and I showed up and we just took over the band. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Dave was a really good drummer and Shannon was a really good musician. We ended up naming that band My Insanity. That band we were in for like three or four years. That's the first band where I really like played out in like real shows and venues and in front of actual audiences. I mean, of, of like, you know, five of your friends, but you know. <laughs> I um, think that band that you've, you've probably mentioned the most in your history to me when we're just talking and, and I think you probably played many songs. Probably. From them, um, from that. I think that's probably the band that I'm most familiar with. That was the first band where like we almost all of our songs were originals and like that's where like I practiced with them like every night we would hang out at Dave's house and practice for hours and we we were so tight and that you know that's that's where probably a lot of my guitar chops come from is playing in that band and just like learning all of these complicated guitar songs and tony and i were both guitar players and we would we would write stuff that we would play off of each other a lot so kind of like the stuff that me and patrick do sometimes that band eventually dissolved and then a year or two went by and i just kind of didn't do a whole lot with music and then tony hit me up again and he's like hey uh you know i'm i've been missing playing let's let's get back together and and do something so we actually ended up getting back together with dave and then uh, a friend of mine named alan brooks who joined us for bass in that band and we we renamed the band broken up kind of like a joke playing off of the fact that we were a previous band that had broken up Mm-hmm. and uh that band that that's also probably a band that you've heard me play a lot of yeah, stuff that's yeah. that's the one i recognize most yeah I think. and that that band is a really um i mean that, that's probably the my favorite band of all the previous ones that i've been in before five-year mission um we we wrote a lot of good songs we we recorded an album that was called uh trample here that band that that was the band I was in when we opened for the Smoking Popes nice. in in Lafayette. So Mike, in that in Broken Up, were you doing that? Were you like the main songwriter and singer, or were you and Tony sharing? Well, it was it was Tony and I. We we both sang and we both wrote songs. Um, and that actually in in uh, My Insanity and Broken Up, that's where really where like the idea. Uh, for me that a band doesn't have to be one genre comes from uh, because I was writing a lot of different kind of songs and you know it was like well you know what kind of band are we are we a punk band are we metal are we like a grunge band and it's like well let's just be all of them let's just you know if a song feels like it's supposed to be like a punk song let's just do it that way and so you know, before that, I just had that state of mind that a band is like a certain kind of genre and you're supposed to kind of stay within that genre. And then, uh, so out of those bands, you know, I kind of went on to think, well, I never want to be in a band ever again that's stuck in one genre. That's why I, I really love it when, like, when one of us comes up with a song for five-year mission that's just something completely bizarre and, and bonkers that, like, we've never tried before. And it's like, yes, let's do that. So broken up, uh, ironically, eventually broke up, uh, and the reasons because I, uh, 
I uh, discovered this other band in Lafayette called Little Voice. And uh, it was these two girls, girl who played guitar and sang and a drummer. And they, they had like this revolving door of dudes that would play guitar for them. So, you know, I, I met them, became a huge fan of the music that they were making and wanted to be a part of it. I saw how they, they were struggling with having guys play stuff for them. So I asked if I could join them on stage and, and just kind of fill in. And then I just ended up in the band. The other guitar player and vocalist actually ended up being my, my wife. Her name is Erica. And, uh, and then the drummer, Lori Davis, uh, who was an amazing drummer who was really highly underrated because she was female and it, uh, everything that she always heard was, you're pretty good for a girl. And she, she hated that. She got so pissed off when people would say that. That's uh, what's funny you say that that's like, that became a running joke uh, with Holly, with my wife. Um, when we were in Eisenhower field day was that, that compliment that these after, you know, after we played dudes would come up to her and I guess their way of, of hitting on her was like, man, you, that's uh, some really good bass playing uh, for a girl. <laughs> she would just, yeah, it so would flattering. just, it would just yeah. completely piss her off as well. So yeah, a uh, little voice uh, ended up being in that band for probably about five or six years. And uh, little voice started in Lafayette and migrated to Indianapolis. Not, not just like playing, but like living in Lafayette. We all lived there and eventually we all moved and lived in Indy. That's when I first came to Indianapolis um, the first place I ever played in Indianapolis was the Melody Inn. I think it was a Tuesday night. <laughs> um, and I, I remember being terrified because I, I hardly had come to Indy for much of anything. You know, I, I lived in out in the country for most of my life and in Lafayette, which is basically the country. So coming to like downtown Indianapolis and 38th Street at you know, after dark and unloading gear and having the guy come up and ask you if you got any money. It was pretty, pretty scary for, for like 23 year old me. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we played at the Mel and of course, Dave and Rob were both there and very welcoming. And Dave Brown was always a huge fan of little voice. He was one of our biggest supporters. Eventually I ended up, uh, since I moved to Indy, I started working at, at the the Kinkos in uh, in Broad Ripple, to the great benefit of many many a band. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> having worked there and 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 being in the music scene, I had a lot of people coming in and asking me to give them deals, and I always did. Yep, flyers, man. We need yeah. flyers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many flyers you printed out for us. I know a lot. So uh, at uh, at at Kinkos when I was working there uh, is where I met Rob Glass, which anyone who's paying attention has heard that name already. And Rob and I became friends and uh, we became, you know, we wanted to like support each other and we were, we, but we liked each other's band. So uh, we both worked at Kinko's and we ended up playing, I think at birdies, you know, Rob, after the show, Rob was like, man, you guys are awesome. And, and you know, I was like, you, you too, your band's great. And so we exchanged uh, our, you know, demo cds or whatever we had at the time and we became friends and um so rob and i working together at at that kinko's 
that's where we were talking about how great it would be if we had like a, a support group of like friends who were musicians who promoted each other's events and bands and not just their own. Can I interject for a second there? Because I do like my first impression of the music scene around that time, which was what, what are we talking? 2007? Yeah. 2006, 2007. Yeah. Like my impression when I first got on the scene at first was that it, it felt very, every man for themselves at first it felt very elitist um, as far as it was just kind of felt like high school. It was kind of like who, you know, if you knew the cool people, you got, you got cool shows. If you knew the cool people, then you got, you know, you got the good gigs. And if you didn't, you didn't. And what we um, didn't know at the time was that that's not unique to our city. Yeah, no. And I was very green. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, yeah. I was just, looking to get better shows you know a better show that wasn't on a wednesday night at 11 o'clock to eight people um and and i found that was very difficult at first um well mike was this when you and rob well I, yeah I, I skipped over something that I'm, I'm i actually just realized i should probably go back and explain well <laughs> you and i you and i had met at this point right uh it was it was around this time yes okay because so, at, at this time in Indianapolis, there was a message board called uh, IndianapolisMusic.net, uh -huh. uh, which everyone referred to as IMN. And, uh, you know, all, all of the... This was back before th you this know, Facebook this, blew yeah, up. Like, like, like MySpace Twitter was barely and... a thing. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, and so um, I was working at that, at that FedEx... Uh, Kinko's in in Broad Ripple, and you know, really struggling to pay my bills and everything. So I was working a lot of overtime, a lot of late nights. And one night, I come outside, getting ready to leave, and this, my my driver's side window is smashed, and my dashboard. Someone had taken a crowbar and pried it oh, like off, and they took my stereo and my my little zipper full of CDs. And I was, I was so mad. I was so devastated at that. So I went and uh, went home and dr I drove home. It was February and I drove home in the freezing cold with no window. <laughs> and uh, the next day I posted on, on IMN about it saying, you know, just complaining about it. And, and since I was, you know, I couldn't afford a window at the time because that's just how poor I was. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to reach out and see if anybody wants to, to help out. And I made like a little donate thing. You know, I had like one person donated a dollar, like a friend of ours donated like 15 or $20. And uh, one strange out of the blue donation I received was from some guy on IMN. Uh, I don't, I don't remember what the handle was, but uh, it, it was Chris Spurgeon. I think my handle on there was oh, re re rebuilt Chris. Oh yeah, re no, it was. Oh yeah, it was rebuilt. I think it was the Huff at, at first, and then I changed it to Rebuilt Chris. Yeah, it, at that point, it was Rebuilt Chris. Yeah. So uh, you had sent me five dollars, and you're you know you're just like, hey man, sorry, it sounds like bad luck. Here's five bucks, and you know I thought that was really cool. You were the only person who I didn't personally know who donated money. Well, and back a little bit of backstory, I had already 
and I, I had already discovered Little Voice. Like I knew Little Voice had kind of a buzz around that time, as I recall. And huh. you know, there were there were some bands that played regularly in you know like at the patio and and mm-hmm. uh, the Mel and, and other places around town. And so there were a few bands that you kind of you'd heard of, and Little Voice just happened to be one of those bands that I had he- not only heard of, but I that I, I'd listened to and I, I liked. And so when I saw Mike Post, and I was also trying to insinuate myself more into that music scene on IMN. And so, you know, I, w- I would see that's how I knew who Fark was because the Farkness. I remember. I remember the Farkness posting all the time and I didn't know him. I never met him. Yeah, me either, but I knew who he was. Yeah. And, but you know, you posted that and I I saw it and I was like, you know what? I can, I can donate five bucks. So yeah. So Chris Chris had donated the $5 and I thought that was really cool because he was the only person that actually I had never met that, that donated money to help me. That was in February. So, you know, Chris and I, we, we kind of, messaged a couple times back and forth on on imn or or whatever after that over the next couple of months and then uh we we both ended up being booked for this july 4th show at ugly Ugly Monkey. monkey yeah downtown yeah the ugly monkey uh and uh all day it was kind of a festival kind of show where they had Start, started at noon went until like 2 a.m or something it was you know on on independence day yeah. And so, you know, we were like, oh, awesome. We'll get to see each other's bands. Well, mm. then we get the schedule. Little Voice is the very first band at, <laughs> at noon. Outside. And uh, yeah, outside. And uh, I think Rebuilt was at like eight or nine o'clock. Yeah, we were the last. I think we were second to last band that went on inside. So it was, <laughs> I think it was, it was eight or nine when we went on. So we, yeah, we, we got set up at noon and of course nobody was there. It's noon on July 4th and it's like a hundred degrees outside. It was like noon and it was really hot out and nobody was there. It was like the three of us in the band and the sound guy. You guys and, had a, had a handful of people. It was more than I would have thought at that time on a, you know, on a Saturday. I I think by the time we finished, there were a few people, but definitely when we were like starting our first song, I mean, there were, there were like maybe two people there. I remember you, you showed up and uh, you got, I think you got there like maybe two or three songs and yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really cool. That was the first time we met. And I I remember the, uh, when our our last song we played was Xanadu and, uh, I just remember uh, she sang the first line and and you, I think, louder than the PA went, Xanadu! Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, Mike and I share a love, not something we didn't know at the time, but we share a love for the movie Xanadu. And I remember they started it and I thought it sounded familiar. And then she started singing it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God, they're playing Xanadu. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just, I, I just yelled Xanadu. And that was, um, I think that was a bonding moment for us. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Across, across a crowded room, (laughs) eyes met and we knew (laughs) it was something was meant to be. So we played at noon. And then uh, of course I came back that night to uh, check out Chris's band, which uh, at the time included Tony. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, and I, 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 I thought they were pretty good. You know, to to be honest, that first time, I, you know, I thought you guys were very talented and and everything, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't that into it until the second time I saw you, <laughs> which was not at not at the ugly monkey, but at the monkey's tail. Oh uh, yes, the monkey's tail. Um, we went to the monkey's tail in Broad Ripple, which was has this like little upstairs area, and. Uh, you and I think that was like your first show without Tony. Oh no, that was um above the steakhouse, right? I can't yeah. that was I can't remember. it wasn't the ugly monkey, it was right next to the uh, or the monkey. Okay, it's, it's right next to the ugly it monkey. It was next door. I it was like the upstairs or something. I can't remember yeah, what it was I called. don't remember that name. The upper room, maybe. Upper room. Oh yeah, that's right. The upper room, yeah. Yeah. So we we, we played there and that was an acoustic show because yeah. We couldn't play electric because it was just a really small, a small, um, yeah. small room. But I, as I recall, when we played there, we used to dress up. We'd like wear, wear nice clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 so I went to that and I really, really liked what you did there for that one. And uh, I remember Micah's hair was humongous. Yeah, he had a big uh, fro. That, that yeah, he had the, his giant fro. fro. And I, I, yeah. I was like, these guys, these guys are, they're good. I like this. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so you, you and I became, became friends and supporters of each other's bands yeah. and, uh, and, and I, I watched you promote and do all of this crazy stuff that like most people get too lazy and don't do. And you, you know, you just, you went the extra mile for like every event and everything. And I'm like, man, this guy, he is dedicated so, uh, so Rob, fast forward now to a little bit later when Rob and I are talking about the music scene and, and everything, you know, we, we decide we want to want to form this, this group of like-minded musicians that all want to support each other. So I, I have this memory being in your basement in Irvington uh-huh. and it was you and Rob and I, I don't remember why we were all there together. I think we, we had some project going on or something that we were talking about, but it wasn't directly linked to the band collective necessarily. And that's a little, a little, uh, I, I don't remember what we would have been there for other but than just hanging out. It may have been just hanging out, but that night was the Genesis for me of yeah. the independent band collective, because well, that's when you and Rob and I started, it was like, I, I, I remember. So you guys uh, already talked about it, but that's when, that's when you guys brought me in. That, you know, it, that might've been, maybe we invited you over to talk about it because I remember, mm-hmm. I remember standing in Kinko's and talking to Rob and I was like, well, I know this guy who, <laughs> you know, who is perfect for this because I knew that you, you know, you would put everything you had into it and make yeah. it something. And so, you know, we, we got you on board and yeah, I think the first couple of meetings were actually at our house. Basically. So the, the, the idea behind it, we called it the Indianapolis band collective. Independent band collective. Uh, that's right. The independent band collective. Sorry. But, yeah. But we called it indie band collective. Yeah, it, that's right. We call it, it the it indie band both. collective. And so I actually remember, I think there was a big argument about which one we should call it. And eventually I think you're, we'll I just do call it indie that. band collective. Well, the beginning of it was the idea, just like Mike said, the idea was to create, create a way for bands and to bands who didn't have the experience, who didn't really know the ropes like we had, you know, we had been playing out for a while in various bands. We kind of knew, you know, knew what the playing field looked like, but there were a lot of these bands that didn't. 
And the idea was to reach out to these bands, bring them into, to, you know, we started having meetings and the idea was to create these shows that we could promote and get people in to get exposure for these bands that nobody knew who they were. So the, the meetings, they started at my house. Yeah. But they quickly grew because, you know, each week, well, I think we had them like every other week or whatever, but each time we yeah. had them, you know, someone would bring one or two more people. Yeah. So like after the first couple of weeks, we had to move it to, to somewhere. So we moved it to, uh, did we go to the Abbey first or was it that other coffee shop? If we went, okay. So we went to the Abbey first, Yeah, which was, which was downtown. And the, the, um, and that's where, that's where Noah comes in because we, yep. Yeah, Rob, finally. Rob contacted Noah. I think he contacted you through, I don't remember how he contacted you exactly, but I remember Rob was like, hey man, this guy, Noah from Eisenhower Field, that he's going he's gonna to meet us at the Abbey for our meeting. And so I need you to, because I was going to be there first. He's like, I need you to be there and meet him and you know, make him feel welcome, whatever. Rob knew the music scene really well. And I remember he was just, he really liked Eisenhower Field Day. I think he sent me like links to your MySpace or something. And I, you know, and we checked out the music. I was like, yeah, these guys are, I, I like this stuff. I do remember that, that night at the Abbey where you were with us for that first meeting and you and I just chatted a little bit, you know, just for the first time. Yeah, I do. I do remember being at that, at that meeting. Yeah. And then after that, you know, our numbers started to grow. So it was, what was that coffee shop in, was it Irvington? Yeah. in Irvington. Yeah. It was right, right by the Irving theater. Yeah. So we started meeting there. Strange brew. Strange brew. That's right. That's what, yeah. We had a lot of meetings there. I remember that was where we started really doing a lot of our planning and we would have weekly meetings, but I just remember we put together these shows and, you know, for bands like Amo Joy and Hey Hey Melodica that were just kind of kicking off. Yeah, we had a big article with a picture, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. So we had a, you know, we did a bunch of stuff like that. So we did a lot of, you know, try to do as much promotion. We had CDs that we that we pressed. There were compilation CDs. Mm-hmm. It was just a really fun time. I met a lot of really cool people. Yeah, we, uh, we and we all, we booked a lot of shows together yeah. featuring a lot of the, our band's but there was an evolution because we were the independent, you know, indie band collective. Uh-huh. But then we started to recognize that we could incorporate. I don't remember how we started incorporating art into it. We, we, we should probably j- just for uh, storytelling sake, we should probably <laughs> mention that, that during this time when we were meeting at strange brew, there was one time where I went to uh, a band collective meeting and the only other person who showed up, was Noah Butler. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else showed up. So the two of us just sat there and talked for like a couple of hours. That must have been when we really got to, to, yeah. Yeah, we remember that. We got to know each other that night. And and I remember (laughs) too, like, and it wasn't like the way we were helping each other out. I remember too, like you guys rebuild and Little Voice and somebody else. I mean, you guys were doing a Halloween show. I wasn't playing at the Halloween show, mm-hmm. but like I volunteered to come and, um, uh, it, was, it was Dorsey video. Like we did, yeah, it was uh, Dorsey. It was Dorsey. Yeah. And we did like video. I, I remember running the video on the yeah. back of the screen, the, um, the 
whole night. Oh, yeah. it was fun. It was so much. That was such a fun show. That yeah. Halloween show. That's the one where Chris was dressed like Ghostbusters. And you guys did a and, whole like Nosferatu well, thing. Well, no, uh, that that was the next year. Uh, the okay. year before that was uh, the one that you're talking about, and okay. uh, it was right after I got married, and uh, we went as a zombie wedding party. That's right. And, and yeah. I was the bride, and, <laughs> and, and, and Erica was the groom, and the I that that Halloween show is a special show for me just in my history as a musician because that was the first time i ever played a show at the melody inn that was sold out that was a fun show and i remember that crowd was so packed i had never seen a place that packed before i was so nervous <laughs> but there, there are still pictures hanging in the melody inn from that show yeah uh in in the kitchen area and uh, so you can, if you ever go there, you can look up above the door and you'll see me dressed as a zombie bride. Um, and I just remember uh, playing some, some stuff on stage and looking out and like all of you guys and like Rob and everybody else were just like right there in front of me, just like loving it. And it was just like one of the greatest moments ever. <laughs> so, so anyway, back to the, the IBC I mean, we made shirts. Remember, we were tied. We were uh, screen printing shirts at Noah's house. Yep, yep. So we got to a point where we started incorporating art into the shows. And when we did that, it was no longer a band collective simply. So we ended up changing the name to Midwest Emerging Artists because that encompassed both band and art. And, and, the, and there was that show at Birdie's that was like an art show with music. Yeah. And I think also to give to give a little bit of credit, well, locals only would also showcase local art. Like yeah. mm -hmm. they would have like an artist of the month and and have their art on display mm -hmm. uh in the in the bar there for for when people were were there. Um but I think what we wound up doing was actually like trying to find upcoming artists who needed yeah. some exposure. Um, and actually have them set up as a whole table, a whole booth there um, for a show. So they're, you know, they're they're bringing their friends in to, for, for the art and for the music, and music people are coming in for the yeah. music, finding art. You know, most of the bands we were working with were kind of indie rock bands. Not that we all sounded the same, but we all kind of had the same mentality and we're doing kind of the same things. And when we did the art shows, and that was, you know, we would bring all the gear and the, you know, the PA and that kind of thing. And then we, we would, but a lot of that was acoustic. And so we had different acts that we wouldn't have had when you're playing at locals only or the Mel or, or, or wherever else we would set up. So that kind of broadened our reach a little bit. And I think, I think also with, with the independent band collective too, um, as is the nature, a lot of times of, of bands in general, like that core group that we had kind of established that started it, um, you know, a lot of those bands fizzled out, um, you know, people moved to different cities, got different yeah. jobs, yep. broke up, did different things. I mean, like the, the roster sort of dwindled to where that initial group wasn't there. And I think that also that's where like the kind of the natural change came to yeah. say, okay, we've lost the, that original sort of scene that was created amongst this first group and it's time to start, you know, evolving, evolving. Yeah. yeah. It, it was definitely around that time when little voice stopped playing shows. And I actually, I tried really hard to continue to be 
a part of of the collective but unfortunately i in my life was so busy i i hardly ever made it to meetings anymore i'm glad that you guys continued to do it yeah rob, rob and i i think kept it going there for a while um when it was looked like maybe nothing was going to happen and then i think chris and uh jennifer hopped on hopped back on um and and really helped kind of elevate it to what it what it needed to be we we had a we had a nice kind of thing going there and a nice rhythm going with with shows and giving new artists both music and otherwise um chances for exposure and kind of creating nice little events for for everybody to be exposed to to their to new art yeah i think it was that summer like 2009 uh, spring and summer 2009 where we were really we did a lot of stuff for Mia then. And I think that was also kind of where it, it kind of ran its course as well. But right around that time was uh, there was a meeting. Now I know that the story has been told ad nauseum about Mike and Noah's encounter. <laughs> <laughs> when Mike asked Noah, if he wanted to play Star Trek songs and we, we had a, we had a, a, a Midwest emerging artist meeting at plumps Yep. And the the meeting was over and I heard no, I overheard Noah and Mike talking about this project they were they were working on. I kind of figured out that they were t- they were talking about Star Trek and they were talking about writing songs. I started talking with them and and they didn't say, "Hey, you want to do this?" But I said, "Hey, uh, let me write a couple songs and just, you know, if you guys are doing this, that sounds like fun." And so immediately I went home and just wrote something. <laughs> I think I wrote uh, Dagger of the Mind. Dagger, Dagger of the Mind. Yeah. And I sent it to you guys. And that was that that was my introduction into Fiverr Mission. And you know, I found out later that you guys really liked that. And um I you know not not long after that I, I wrote Naked Time. Um I think Naked Time cemented my you know your your desire to to play with me. <laughs> so yeah. it's good I didn't stop at Dagger. But- yeah, yeah. D- D- Dagger the mind, you know. I, I was, I was skeptical. <laughs> well, I, I, I was like, you know, Chris wrote a lot of really good songs. You know, I, a, lot, a lot of good stuff came out of Rebuilt. I, you know, I can't wait to hear what he comes up with. And then you, you give us Dagger the mind, and like halfway through, you start rapping, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna work out, man. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, an evolution. Two, two, two things came out of our mouths. I, I said, did he yarl this much? Before? <laughs> and Mike said, is he rapping in the middle of that? <laughs> well, that's just, we've just exaggerated that story. But. So I, I, at that point, I don't remember if I'd written, I think I'd written both of those songs. And, and I remember I went over to Mike's house and it was the three of us. And we just started kind of playing together on these songs. I feel like the first time I saw Patrick when he was back, was at Mike's house. So to, to, to go back just a little bit in, yeah. in, uh, in the stories that we're telling back to that second Halloween. Okay. Uh, when, when we were, when little voice was all dressed like Nosferatu, yeah. which I actually shaved my head for. I remember that. <laughs> uh, the shakeups were back. You looked like Billy Corgan. The, yes. The, the shakeups <laughs> were back in town. Okay. And played at that uh 
that particular Halloween show, they yeah. played as the Pixies. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that was, I think that might've been the first time that, that I played a show, not with Patrick, but like with Patrick since before he moved to California. So did, did you know Patrick before he moved to California? Yes. So to go back in time a little bit more yeah. in, in the storytelling and when little voice was, was, was playing around town and uh, uh, we, you know, we were meeting a lot of different bands and everything, but uh, we didn't know anybody very well. And one, one place that we somehow got booked at that we went to play was uh, Bubba's bowling alley, uh-huh. which was a venue that was this old bowling alley on college uh, that uh, Patrick somehow owned and, and, and ran at the time. Um, okay. Like he, he and his wife and uh, his, his original wife, not Savannah. Yeah. Um, he, he and, and his wife at the time and, you know, th- their band, the shakeups actually ran the venue. So we, we got booked and we played with the shakeups and I met Patrick that night and uh, we ended up playing a bunch of shows together over the next like two or three years. Mm-hmm. Like the shakeups and little voice together. Yeah, that's right. I, I did. I remember that. And was was Ed Cho in the shakeups at that time? He was. Yeah, okay. he was a full fledged member at that time. Yep, Ed and another guy named Curtis Wyant. Was, uh, yeah, I remember Steve, Curtis. Was Stephen uh, playing drums? No, no. no. Uh, his uh, Patrick's wife Kathy was the drummer. Kathy played. Drums. Oh, okay. So the first time. It must have been 2001, maybe 2002. But Patrick and Kathy would play at PS Works, where Rebuilt and Unpainted Huffines would play all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that's I I had seen Kathy and Patrick play several times and, and talked to them. Um, I didn't know Patrick really well, but I knew him well enough that to you know have a conversation. So, but I had seen him play and I knew what he could do. And so when Mike mentioned. Patrick, I was like, yeah, I know that guy. So I was actually pretty excited that Patrick was interested. <laughs> I didn't know him at all. Um, I had heard of the shakeups, um, I think, back in the, in those days, in the little voice days. I think I had heard of the shakeups. I don't know if I'd ever seen them. We played with them a lot. And then he he moved to California, I think, right before we started the collective yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't too long before that. Basically, the whole time we had the collective, is he was in California. But yeah, we played with him a lot, uh, and so Patrick and I kind of became friends because I didn't have any friends in Indianapolis, and I had just moved here, and so we kind of became friends. And I started going over to his house, and I'd go over and hang out with him and Ed Show and watch anime, and that's that's kind of how we all became friends and and bonded. When he moved to California, it kind of sucked because. You know, he was one of my only friends in town. Yeah. And then you were, then you met me and Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was making more friends by that point, but you know. Sure you were. Uh, you know, as we've said many times, you know, I wanted to start a project with Patrick and we just never really got it going. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he came back, I invited him to be a part of it, but it was different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking of Little Voice and Eisenhower Field Day, my fun, two of my fondest memories from both of those bands are the times when I sat in with those bands. <laughs> you want to, uh, you want to tell those stories? Yeah, with Little Voice, they played a an Elvis tribute show, in which uh, 
Mike and Erica asked me to play bass. And this is before I had really played bass on anything. And and this is de- this is definitely before five year mission or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. This this was uh, Erica was pregnant with Ruby. Yes. And very pregnant. Yeah. So that was thirteen years ago, probably. Yeah. This was actually this was one of the last Little Voice shows, wasn't it? It was actually it was the second to last show. The okay. last show was like the next day or two days later. Yeah. So Mike and I are both. So we were kind of doing, we played all, we played Little Voice songs. We also played Elvis covers. Mm-hmm. And one of the songs that we, or uh, we were dressing up as, we were supposed to have a uh, dress that, you know, emulated Elvis, but we, I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was Erica's idea, but <laughs> probably she wanted it to be flashy. And so Mike and I ended up in these, and Lori ended up in these like black and silver striped sequined tops and i'm i mean mike and i are wearing these but i'm pretty sure that they were women's tops yes they were Um, so it was but it was fun it was a fun night and uh i was i remember in fact noah you and holly were there yeah because i remember when i got done i went to holly and i was like was that okay? Because I was playing bass and she was the only bass player that I knew. <laughs> like really knew. I was like, was that okay? And she's like, yeah, you were fine. And at the time, I think I was mostly playing root notes anyways. I expected her to say, I don't know. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> yeah. That's, think, that sounds like Holly. I think she actually said like, you know, I'm not, she, she was very modest about it. She's like, I'm not like a musician necessarily. I just play bass and I really enjoy playing bass and you were doing that's what you were doing up there and you were fine. So that was, that, that was really nice. That, that was a, that was a really fun show though. And, and that was, uh, that was the first time you and I ever performed on stage. That was the first time we ever played together on stage. So then with Eisenhower field day, I played a show with them. It was at a record store, I think. Yeah, it was and our, it was our CD release. It was, uh, we did the kind of like a, a much, an acoustic version acoustic version because we were we were pretty much a very much a, a loud yeah power trio and so and fast like like phil was just notorious for being a fast, power fast. Drummer. yeah and uh so to like take things to this whole other acoustic level for this in show uh, you know i really wanted to make it interesting and this was the first time i ever played with noah on on in a show and Rob um, was there too, wasn't he? Who, yeah, Rob Rob played Rob keys play? and yeah. I played accordion. That's right. <laughs> and so I played accordion on several songs that show. Yeah. And I think there's probably I think there's a recording somewhere. There is. There's a, I've got video of it somewhere. Yeah. Um and I I mean I think the re- the reason I had you play was because I was I was just like That's going. right. You you didn't was- you were was, so nervous about playing acoustic. Yeah, it was such a different dynamic. It was yeah, such you, a different dynamic. You to fill the space. Yeah, I just needed that. Like, I was just scared to have it that stripped down. That's right. Well, you know, one thing about when we met, when we were doing the collective, it just, it wasn't just about our shows. One of the other side effects was that these people that were involved in the collective, when we, when our individual bands would have shows, these people from the collective that were, would come and support us. So, you know, I saw a lot of little voice and Eisenhower field day because not only was I playing shows along with you guys, but I was also going to your shows to support for, 
you know, to, so I saw a lot of Hey, Hey, Melodica yeah. shows. As, yeah. As me well. too. Yep. Uh, and I wouldn't, we'd probably be remiss to not mention in, in all of this local band promoting and supporting um, Wayne and his, his Barfly comics because oh, yeah, yeah. He, yep. he was always bringing attention to, to new bands and, and still does. When we, when we started the band collective, I was working retail. I think I was working at like Mars music or something. And then I got shortly after that, I got, you know, like a big boy job. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, not too long after that, I lost my job. And so I was, you know, on unemployment for a while. And then I got the job with the company. Well, technically the company I work at now, it's been acquired twice now, but um, it's, I just had, you know, I had time back then. Yeah. And that, you know, then I got a, you know, a, a job and a salary and I got married, had two kids. I mean, there's just, you know, all that time you have to be able to use to put into this kind of effort oh, yeah. where when other people are relying on you to organize these shows and, and, and make this happen. It just, I just couldn't do it anymore. At the time I, I, you know, I did not have any kids and I was still doing my same big boy job I had had for a long time. Yeah. So my life wasn't any different, but the, the amount of kind of work and responsibility that had to go into taking it to that next step just required more people, yeah. uh, more, more competent people. Um, and we just didn't, didn't, we just had too few people. Uh, we had a lot of people with really with the desire and good intentions, but we just didn't have enough, movements and on it that that we could kind of take it to that next level and so it just yes. started to fizzle and then and then five-year mission came along and it was w much more exciting and fun and interesting yeah. than, than trying to form a nonprofit. <laughs> i will say though that even though ult ultimately ultimately it didn't last for that moment in time I'm really, I'm still really proud of what we did because we, we oh, yeah. started with nothing yeah. and just yeah. this idea and we made it real. I think what we did for, for us, like, I'm really proud of it. And I thought it was fun, but you know, I, I, I look at some of the people that we actually helped and that is a much greater reward to me mm -hmm. than anything else we did, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, let's 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 wrap this one up here, and then we'll we'll get the other guys uh, to meet with us and do the second half. Yeah, that sounds good. Hey, do you miss getting new content from Five Year Mission? You should head over to patreon.com slash fiveyearmission and check out our Patreon page. As a patron of the band, you will receive access to rare and behind-the-scenes pictures and videos and other cool stuff. You will also have early access to many things, like video releases or new songs. You can sign up for different levels, from Ensign all the way up to Admiral. One of the perks of being an Admiral on Five Year Mission's Patreon is that you get to be a producer on this podcast. Currently, our producers are Neil Carpenter, Helen Lake, Debbie Rinke, Carol Jones, Becky and Roxy, Steve and Frankie Palopoli, Madison Rachel Jones, and Jim Morehouse. Your name could be on this list if you sign up as an admiral. So head over to patreon.com slash five-year mission now. That's the number five-year mission.
you all know that Fancast.com is your home for all things pop culture pin related, and they have a slew of new Star Trek releases coming your way. Lieutenant Reese of Star Trek Discovery, the incomparable Luther Sloan from Deep Space Nine, the latest Women of Trek series pin, Nurse Christine Chapel, and coming soon, Picard episode pin number five for the episode Stardust City Rag, and it also an exclusive announcement for anybody listening to a podcast on the Trek Geeks Network, they will have the magnetic back Picard Delta coming on February 1st. So head on over to fansets.com, fill up your cart, and at checkout, enter the code five year mission. That is the number five, and then all caps year mission, five year mission, and you will get 10% off of your entire order. Fansets. Our pins have character, and we thank Fansets for sponsoring our podcast every single episode. The three of us have had a lot of fun reminiscing and talking about old times tonight, but uh, just like you, we are... Very curious about what the other two guys were doing for all of these years before Five Year Mission. So tune into the next episode of Five Year Mission, the podcast, if you want to hear Andy and Patrick's stories about what they were doing before Five Year Mission. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Five Year Mission, the podcast. If any of you are interested in listening to more of our music, you can check us out on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or pretty much anywhere that you can listen to music. Just search for Five Year Mission and we should be the first thing that comes up. If you would like to contact us in regards to the podcast or anything else that you want to talk to us about, you can email us at fiveyearmissionband at gmail.com. And for more information about the band, you can go to fiveyearmission.net and also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Five Year Mission, the podcast is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Coconut.